This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace. In the well, welcome to Blowing Bubbles. Positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hello, Sam. How goes it? Well, it's going very well. We had an exciting weekend because our very own Tahu was named the Otago Person of the Year. That is fantastic. She should be New Zealander of the Year. She does an incredible work, doesn't she? Yep. Amazing lady. And who are we introducing today? Today, it is my pleasure to introduce my friend, Katrina Clark, who is, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. She's the most beautifully creative human being. She's a singer. She is an actress. She is um, an inspiration to many, many young people, literally from all over the world now, currently residing in Bangkok um, as a drama teacher. Uh, and I learned something new about her today, and I, I'm so excited to explore that, and that's her work uh, with empathy in her drama teaching. And um, as we know, that's you know a lot of my work in my doctorate, and so it just it really excited me to, to hear this whole other aspect of her work. Katrina, welcome, and thank you for joining us from Bangkok. Oh, thank you so much. And what, uh, um, gosh, I, I'm quite taken back by how you've just introduced me. That's, uh, that's wonderful, very special. Thank you so much. It's Such very lovely to have you here. Welcome, Katrina. So how has your bubble life been? Uh, well, at the moment uh, in Bangkok, it's very similar to New Zealand, actually. At, at, at present, um, it's largely COVID-free. Um, so apart from having to wear masks everywhere, um, it's a pretty much, you know, day-to-day life as, as normal. Um, we are required to wear masks uh, to and from school, but we don't actually wear them in the classroom because uh, at the moment um, the risk of COVID is relatively low because it's very controlled. And by wearing a mask, we're actually blocking uh, most of our communication um, from our students, so obviously. Uh, many of the students uh, still wear masks, but generally the teachers aren't because we feel that it, it's just a, a great big barrier between uh, us and the students. And it, it really limits, and particularly in my subject, teaching drama, uh, it would be near impossible to teach effectively while covering most of your face. How long yeah. have you been in Bangkok? Uh, we've only been in Bangkok uh, for a couple of months. Um, we were previously in uh, the Middle East, in Dubai. And uh, in between the, the two jobs, we man- we did manage, we were kind of lucky and it, it kind of fell into our laps that we got to go home to New Zealand for six weeks before uh, moving to Bangkok. It's kind of weird, isn't it, that there's this global pandemic yet life goes on. I suppose it's not weird, but it's, <laughs> it's an interesting that people are still having to do those sorts of things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've seen it from like a, a number of different angles, having lived in Dubai, where um, at the time when we were living there, it, 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 there definitely was a pandemic and it was, um, you know, evident everywhere you went. Um, and, and it kind of hit quite early there, I suppose, Dubai International Airport being the biggest on the planet um, with a lot of uh, air traffic and people coming through. Uh, it, it really did take hold in, in particularly in Dubai, but across the Middle East um, quite a lot. So we were, I think there were days when there were, you know, thousands of new cases. Um, so when we went into lockdown there, uh, it was very strict and we were actually in lockdown for three months um, and the first month of that was you you couldn't you couldn't step outside your front door at all um, unless you had a police permit to be able to go to the supermarket or if you had to go to the hospital uh, doctors for something you had to get a police permit um, and then after that uh, you, you still had to get a permit to leave but they allowed you to kind of go for a walk around the block um, but children were not allowed to leave the home at all so it was about three months that we were you know inside um <laughs> inside the four walls of um of our wee home and uh, yeah that was it was definitely tough but at the same time um there were aspects of it that were wonderful that were that were brilliant uh, we didn't have to deal with the daily commute um and obviously living in a big city that could take uh, anywhere up to an hour um on a bad day I don't know that that's, you know, some people, it, it's even more than that uh, on a bad day, so um, relatively speaking. And um, the the fact that we um, uh, we were able just to kind of stay home and, and really spend time together as a family, which I know that that was, uh, for a lot of people, that was a wonderful part about lockdown. And then you came home? Yes, and then we came home, so uh, we went uh, through quarantine uh, up in Auckland, um, and then we got to see our family. And it, I must admit, that was quite a culture shock to um, to go from being in Dubai, where everything was locked down and and um, and you know not really accessible. And for most of that, we couldn't even go and see our friends at all. Um, so all our life kind of existed online. Um, and then we kind of walked, I, I remember when we, we walked out of the hotel once we were, you know, we'd done our quarantine and we got into our hire car and uh, to drive down to Fakatane and we're like, we can take our masks off. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> People are wearing masks everywhere. This is fantastic. Um, and just that absolute freedom um, and also the freedom of not having the fear of of that kind of fear everywhere of uh, being in a place obviously where where COVID was uh, a big problem to being back in New Zealand when when we arrived it was completely COVID free and it was like it really was life as normal and and people were just so happy which was really good and then you left yeah <laughs> yeah and many people you, were just like why would you leave you found paradise <laughs> why would you leave? yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and it's never easy to leave New Zealand ever because it is the most beautiful place on the planet. And I totally, totally took it for granted uh, until I started traveling um, years ago. And now that we live overseas, there are so many things that as New Zealanders, when we live in New Zealand, that we take totally, totally for granted. And it's, um, it's, such, a, it's such a beautiful place, but not only that, um, 
you know, it, it really is a place where people genuinely care about each other. And I've, I've had a lot of conversations with, with um, people from many countries who, you know, they've gone into lockdown and it hasn't worked. And I said, they were like, well, why did it work in New Zealand? And I said, because in New Zealand, there really is two degrees of separation. And whether it's that or whether it's a cultural thing, but people genuinely and deeply care about the other people in their country. And so this idea when Jacinda Ardern got up and said, look, we're not prepared to lose anyone. We're not prepared to lose, um, you know, our grandparents and, and parents and um, to make many of our, our um, fellow New Zealanders really sick. We're just not prepared to do that. So we're all going into lockdown and everyone went, yeah, cool. That sounds like the best thing to do. Um, and I think because we have that culture in New Zealand of, of care, and I think, like I said, part of that comes from being a small country. Um, that's why it worked. That's why it really works in New Zealand. I'm going to take the first of your music selections. Let's have Fat Bottom Girls. Why this one? <laughs> why this one? Um, it's a fun song. You know, it's one of those songs that just says, yeah, um, yeah, I kind of, and, and definitely as, as, a, as a woman, um, who we often in many different ways through the media particularly are essentially uh, fat shamed and curve shamed in a way um, that there is, of course, these ideals of, of what a woman should look like and what a woman should be like. Uh, and, of course, the rest of us women are like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Very few people actually look like that. Um, and I, I think that Fat Bottom Girls is a really fun way of saying, yeah, we do make the rock and world go round. And um, working with, with teenagers for a number of years and working with teenage girls um, and as a, as a singing coach and a drama teacher, uh, a lot of the stuff that I do is dealing with um, confidence and, um, you know, body issues always come into that. And I, we, we're totally, I don't know if this is going off, off topic here, but, you know, it kind of goes goes all the way around doesn't it but uh, I think that the, the media in particular have a lot to answer for for uh, low self-esteem in not just women but men as well um, but I think our teenagers particularly that uh, haven't developed that mental capacity to to look at things from from all angles and and see why people are trying to sell us these products and through selling us products um, or services they uh, they're essentially bringing us down and and making us feel bad about the the beautiful bodies that we do have oh you gonna take me home tonight oh down beside that red fire light oh you gonna let it all hang out fat bottom girls you make the rocking world go
actually um, Fat Bottom Girls was our wedding song. <laughs> you were talking about the messaging and how successful it was. It has been in New Zealand. Bangkok or, or Thailand seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah. Is it a similar sort of messaging? How are they doing it there? Well, to be honest, I mean, we when we arrived here, uh, it was already quite COVID-free. So I think they have done it in a similar way to New Zealand, but obviously we weren't here to experience it. Uh, but they just they closed the borders pretty early, and obviously border control is very strict. So they've they've controlled it in that kind of way. And I think because um, a lot of people in this part of the world wear masks anyway, um, to do with pollution, to do with um, skin care and, and protection from the sun. So I actually think that perhaps that there, that had a role to play in controlling the virus um, from very early on. Is, is the message the, the equivalent of the, the, the team of five million? How are they, how are they referring to the community? Um, there isn't, there isn't really uh, a lot of, um, that, well, I haven't seen anything that's quite clear, that's like a clear kind of um, driving kind of message here. It's, it's really just, I suppose it's just the ongoing day-to-day stuff, uh, social distancing where you can, um, obviously good hygiene um, is, is a big thing. Um, and wearing a mask, that, that's it. There isn't really any of those, not that I've seen of, um, and perhaps there are, and perhaps they're in, in Thai. And obviously my, uh, I'm learning Thai, but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> um, but there isn't uh, any of the kind of, um, you know, the, the 5 million fight against this kind of um, motto. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā me aroha nui, kia koutou, kotaho I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved verses. And I really hope, wherever you are, whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, so thank you. I've had the most amazing weekend in the whole universe and I've been very excited to talk to you about it and I'm so grateful for these five minutes each day. It's a real pleasure and privilege to share this time with you. So as we know, I've been very, very fortunate and I'm so grateful for all the support that I've received in our paradise haughty porty Stunnedin. And this weekend, very lucky that I won the Otago Hall of Fame Educator of the Year Award, which a huge honour and a great affirmation of all of the work that I do that I really love. It is my dream job. I was absolutely blown away. And I also won the top award, which is the Otago Person of the Year, which of course is a huge, 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 huge dream come true for me because, you know, I'm so grateful to be here, to be alive, to be here with you all. And Aute Porti Stuneden is really my, my heart's home, so I'm so grateful. And it was a wonderful, wonderful ceremony and opportunity to express my love. And it was fantastic for me, of course, because it was a real affirmation to me that the love that I feel I am clearly expressing is, you know, very important to me. And so, of course, this got me thinking about how everything that we do is always a team effort. And I've been so lucky with all the interactions that I've had in my life, but particularly since I came back here when I was 18 from the UK. And I was very lucky that I got a job at the aquarium. And it all sprang from there, this this realisation that I want to spend 
the rest of my life supporting everyone to feel that connection with the real world, the living world, the natural world, which is always there, which is inherently part of us all, and that is so rewarding and sustaining. And it's free, and we are free. So it's very important to me to be able to do this work. And I'm just so grateful that other people have benefited from it. That's really what I want. And I have really benefited, of course, from the support and encouragement from those around me and the work too. So I really think that for all of us, we are contributing to this for everybody. And everything we do is as part of a team. And I said at the awards, I'm so grateful to be part of the Dream Team Supreme here in Stuneden. But really, as we know, we are a Dream Team of Million. And then beyond that, a Dream Team of, you know, more than 7 billion. And beyond that, a Dream Team of countless trillions and squillions and bajillions, all co-evolving, all working together. So I feel it's so important that we do share what we love and do what we love and make sure that those around us feel appreciated. I, of course, now that I have received these awards, I feel so appreciated and that's wonderful and it means I want to do more and more and more. And I'm already thinking of new ways that I can do more for Autoporty's done Eden and new ways that I can do more in terms of the education work that we all do at Orokanoi Eco Sanctuary. So appreciation, affirmation is so powerful in terms of motivating people to bring out the best even more from within so i really hope that for you you are feeling appreciated you are feeling affirmed in the work that you're doing and the parts of yourself that you choose to share and i really hope that you can see how you are part of a team that you are part of this wonderful connected community wherever you are and whether it's conscious or not you are contributing to success and the joy and the co-evolution of all life around you and of course you are here every day make better who you are so thank you for all your hard work and i look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much Kakiti. that was our very own tahu mckenzie otago's person of the year Woo-hoo! you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with katrina clark in bangkok so now you're in thailand teaching drama yeah. How's it going? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I love, I'm absolutely loving Thailand. Um, the people are really, really friendly. They, they, they say it's the land of smiles and it really is. Uh, we're in like a really nice um, neighborhood. Uh, we're working for a fantastic school um, where as teachers we are supported and, um, you know, really cared for and, that's kind of a, a perfect scenario as a teacher. If you feel that you're supported and your well-being is looked after, then you don't mind putting in the extra hours. You don't mind putting in, you know, all of the, the late nights. Um, and, yeah, it, it's really good. I'm really, really enjoying it. And what ages are you teaching? Oh, at the moment I'm teaching reception classes, so the kind of five-year-olds uh, through to the 10, 11-year-olds. The school only goes to year six this year um, because it's a brand new school and next year we'll be going up to year 10. Cool and is it drama like we would expect drama to be? Yeah it's it's an international school so um, but with a British curriculum so obviously um, drama is drama uh, all across the world Um, in, in every curriculum there will be many similarities and there will be some differences as well. And, and I think also depending on 
who's teaching the drama and, and the, the philosophies of the actual teacher changes what happens in the classroom as well. And are you, you, you're teaching them face-to-face now? Yes. So are you, are you putting plays on? We're not putting plays on quite yet. Um, we are doing a, an arts concert at the end of the term um, where we're going to showcase uh, kind of what we've been doing in class. Um, but as, in terms of like a big production, like a big musical, that, that's for next year. Awesome. What are you going to do? Not sure yet. Uh, I'm going to see. Uh, I always like to work from, I suppose, uh, backwards in a way. Lots of drama teachers uh, kind of have uh, a show in mind and then they push that through. I'm going to see um, what our um, cohort is like, what kind of skills and talent um, we have within the school that we can really feature. And then I will pick a show that's best going to showcase uh, the talent. Uh, because, you know, sometimes you've got, um, you know, 14 really strong females, but only two really strong males. So you do have to, to look at the, at the best way that you can facilitate something that's going to best work for your team. Um, and then on the, on the rare occasion, and I've had it a couple of times where you've got like many, many strong men um, and you've got uh, maybe actually less interest from from the girls, uh, which is one of those unusual things. But every now and then it happens as a drama teacher. Um, so yeah, then you can you can pick more male heavy shows, which is to be honest often a bit easier because most of them are. Um, and in in line with that, uh, I've actually written three musicals myself, um, which are the opposite of that. They're female heavy. Um, and really suited to middle school because it's really hard often to find um, musicals that are really, really suited to that middle school age group but aren't kind of Disney. They're not all kind of, um, you know, a lot of the musicals that are a bit young for the middle school age group and then everything that you've got above that that has generally come or derived from something from Broadway is generally uh, dealing with, with issues that are in realistically too old, um, you know, complex relationships and stuff like that, that you really don't want your middle schoolers acting out on stage because um, it, it's just a bit, it's not really age appropriate. Moira said you're doing work with empathy. I always work with empathy. Uh, so I think that drama is is one of the the most important places to learn empathy. Um, a lot of people think that you know, in what happens in the drama classes, I'm teaching a group of students just to act on a stage and we're playing some fun improv games, which we are. Um, but what I'm actually teaching is uh, for students to really face a, a multitude of challenges because empathy is is challenging and it should be. Um, and through overcoming their personal obstacles and um, developing their communication skills, uh, what they actually exp- are exploring while they're doing this are things like empathy, communication, creativity, connection. Uh, so while they're exploring different characters, different scenarios, and while they're improvising uh, these situations, what they're actually learning is um, emotional responses and they're learning about their their own emotional responses as well as how would somebody else respond to this situation? How would somebody else respond to this scenario? Um, how would someone else communicate how they're feeling? Not just how would I communicate maybe anger, for example. How would somebody else communicate anger, perhaps if they weren't allowed to outwardly be angry because 
of the job that they're in or because of the situation that they're in with their family or something like that. And through this, um, empathy is always being taught. It's always a, a big underlying feature of what just naturally happens in the classroom. One of the things I've discovered in my work is that um, empathy can't exist without imagination. Yeah. How do you develop empathy in those kids who have got a stifled imagination where their imagination hasn't been developed? Is it possible from your experience? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that to take to look at that, we need to take a step further back from that. Um, and something that I'm really passionate about um, is making mistakes. So lesson number one in my drama class is let's make mistakes. So we play a range of games where we applaud uh, someone making a mistake we really support those those people who are really pushing themselves and they make a mistake because they're like, oh, you know, um, and they, they forget their lines or they forget what they're doing. That's because they are really pushing their creativity and their imagination. And I really am a strong believer that uh, in order to unlock a, an imagination, in order to unlock um, our creative experience and our creative potential, we first need to look at mistakes and we need to accept mistakes as part of that process and we need to wholeheartedly understand that mistakes are even more important than what might be the end product mistakes are the key to unlocking um whether you will make a quite a, a i suppose gigantic leap in your creativity or in your imaginative process or whether you will be stifled by this fear of making a mistake, therefore limiting uh, the ideas that you have around anything. And I constantly talk uh, and, and link the work that we're doing in, in class with what's going on in the real world. So I, I keep saying, you know, uh, let's think about uh, the people who are working today in Apple in their, in their creative team who are trying to come up with a new product, uh, a new service, a new app, um, anything. Um, and what, what they have to do in order to really break through and push through what ideas we already have. Because it's really, really easy to come up with, you know, existing ideas or things that are similar to existing ideas. The difficult things, and this, of course, is where innovation comes in, which is a massive, massive part and will be a massive part of all our students' futures, is finding those links between what we already have and what is what may seem impossible, but how we can make that possible or what has never been linked together and, and these uh, possibilities that have never been thought of um, by exploring all the things that we do know and then pushing through that. And that happens uh, within, uh, you know, brainstorming about um, a plot for a scene. Uh, it comes with exploring a, a character and maybe really pushing how they might emotionally deal with a, a situation that we are um, exploring with that character or between two characters. Um, it might be simply in, in expression. It might be we want this idea to be heard how can we best show this? How can we connect this with an audience in a new and different way? So the idea might be something as simple as, you know, we're going to look at bullying. Um, but how can we put that maybe into a short film or, or a play, and, but do it differently and do it in a way that is going to connect with our audience on, on another level or a new level that's really going to make them take that 
intake of breath and go, oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way or now I understand it better or differently. I've been thinking a lot about um, this particular generation of kids and um, they're, they're on devices a lot. So they're, they're in, in, in effect, they're living in someone else's imagination all the time. Have yeah. you noticed that change in, in this, in, you know, since the, the introduction of, you know, smart devices and this, this generation, this technological generation of kids? Yes. I, I, I don't say that, that, um, I think, you know, to, to definitely speak to those who've been teaching even, even longer and they, they will, um, be, better qualified to speak to that exact question. But what I do notice definitely, um, and this is within the kind of 10, 12 years that I've been teaching, is the attention spans. Mm-hmm. For me, the biggest thing is the attention spans seem to be getting less and less and less. Um, and I think it, it's for teachers, it's twofold. I think uh, on one hand, it really challenges us to make the lessons more engaging and and um, really really link back to play based learning and student expression, which I think is is very important. It definitely has a place, but I do think the other side of this is that this should be a growing concern that we are raising a generation of of children who don't have that um, that elongated attention span and they want those instant rewards they want that instant gratification and I notice and this is something that uh, we explore a lot on some of the Facebook groups that I'm on with other um, theatre directors and 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 the drama teachers who are who are running the productions is you get masses of kids I want to be involved in the production yeah that's going to be awesome that's going to be great and you you um, audition you know hundreds of children sometimes and slowly but surely, heaps of them drop out. Heaps and heaps of them drop out because they don't get that instant gratification. Because they have to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse over what's actually in in their lives a very long period of time. I mean, we're talking three to four months sometimes that they are rehearsing towards this, you know, this polished and and very professional looking production. But what they can't see sometimes is that the work that they're putting in will actually not get the payoff until that opening night. And for some children, that's just too far away. And they they get disheartened, they get bored, they get agitated because um, they, they aren't getting that instant gratification. They're not constantly getting, yay, that was really good because... In order to make a, a production in particular look really, really amazing, you've you've got to work them really, really hard. And there definitely is that correlation uh, between those students who, and and unfortunately, it is often the same ones, the ones that do really well in class as well, who have developed that ability to work through that feeling of I'm I'm not getting that instant gratification, but I'm going to keep going um, to the end. And then, of course, on opening night, it's amazing, it's brilliant, and all of these children get an absolute endorphin rush. They they just have the best time, and they're on stage, and they're absolutely glowing, and it's amazing. Um, and then, of course, you do, you've got their friends sitting in the audience going, oh, maybe I should have hung on in there. You know, maybe I should have should have worked harder towards the end. Um, either that or they, some of them do the opposite, but oh, it was dumb anyway. <laughs> You know, um, so I do think that, that that should be something that um, 
everyone should be taking very seriously is the fact that we need to um, instill in our children and, and in as many ways as possible this this longevity, this, this long-term um, kind of goal and success planning. One of the other things that I've been um, that, I, that I'm sort of working on is this idea that um, if your imagination isn't developed when you're really young, you don't develop the ability to make choices or to see the end. And yeah. I, and I wonder if that that um, that that instant gratification, uh, the need for instant gratification, is tied to an inability to see the outcome in the future. Like you can't put yourself into the future. All you have is now. Therefore, now is when you need the gratification. Yeah, definitely. That's a. I, I definitely think that that's very closely linked. And I do think that. Um, I mean, if you watch the. Um, I mean, it's it's a very popular TED talk, Sir Ken Robinson, on how schools kill creativity. Um, I think we all have a part to play in this. But I do think that um, you know our. And, and to link to this, are we too focused early, in the early stages of education? Are we too focused on can my child read? Can my child write? Can my child, you know, add? Can they subtract? Um, can they learn their times tables? All of that kind of stuff. And to what degree are we teaching or ensuring that we are um, we're teaching creativity? That we are allowing them space to use their imagination? That we are allowing them space to express themselves openly and to develop their communication because this is a, this is another big part of it um the fact that we do have a generation who now and and particularly through lockdown when face-to-face communication wasn't happening and i think it really highlighted um how important that is and and on a, on a level of well on multi on a multiple uh, on multiple levels it's it's really important for that face to face communication to be able to express ourselves and that's really important that links back into um, our imagination and our creativity because without being able to express it or to be able to um, you know validate our thoughts or to be able to explain our thought process that that's another big big area that perhaps it, uh, is that the question is i suppose is is that something that is dying with our online kind of uh, upbringing hotter than a fantasy lonely like a highway she's living in a world and it's on fire filled with catastrophe but she knows she can fly away
that was Alicia Keys' Girls on Fire. It does seem that the world is on fire. We've seen lots of societal changes over the last few months. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? What? Uh, well, I really, really hope that um, spending time, spending quality time together with friends and family um, and the, the importance of this, I think that, that I really, really hope that will stick. And in line with that is that that's so much more important than having the latest gadget or, you know, having this gorgeous, you know, nine-seater dining room table with, you know, beautiful turned wood carved legs, which it's beautiful, but it's that kind of stuff isn't important. Um, and I suppose I, I, I slightly was, was raised by semi-hippies um, back in the day. And so I, I've, I've always been someone who um, shops at the op shops and my furniture is always, you know, a little bit had it. But um, I've always spent my money on on traveling because I think growing the mind is so much more important than growing your material stuff. And particularly since, um, you know, moving across the world a few times now, um, (laughs) you've really got to learn to not hold on to material (laughs) possessions um, and hoard. Um, In line with this, I mean, my grandmother, I think, was... uh, would definitely be up there with one of the greatest hoarders of all time. She kept everything. Um, and and I definitely had a, a bit of that within me. And I think being being a drama teacher as well, you know, I had, oh gosh, I, I don't really want to admit how many boxes of props and costumes <laughs> and wigs and shoes and, you know, oh, because we, we might need this, um, you know, this 1960s telephone for a play that we might do some time in the future or um this you know 1970s typewriter that definitely might come in handy so i've got to hold on to that um so definitely i i uh, i think the biggest thing to come out of of the fact that we spent so much time in lockdown is to really appreciate that time that we do spend with friends and family um and and doing the simple stuff i mean my daughter learned to cook over over lockdown and she learned to cook very well she's 10 years old um obviously you know it wasn't the first time that she'd ever been in the kitchen <laughs> I, I wasn't you know like a totally bad mother who'd never taught her how to bake but because we had the time we had that extra time she was involved in the preparation of pretty much every family meal and the family meal became a big part of the day again i mean being locked inside pretty much for three months um and and (laughs) the flip side of that was that was responsible for many of the uh, covid pounds um but but apart from that we do get to spend that quality time and i suppose in a way go back to those um those really basic but really important skills of of cooking and and planning a meal and uh, planning what you're going to get from the supermarket, considering we were only allowed out three days a week, one nominated uh, household member to go to the supermarket. <laughs> so everything had to be planned. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time at all, so we shall have to be quick. We shall turn them into yep. quickfire questions. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, gosh, it's such a big question. There are so many things I've been uh, I've been so blessed 
um, to have had so many wonderful experiences um, by by literally selling everything I own and stepping onto a plane with just uh, myself, my my suitcase, and my family. Um, I suppose professionally, um, it's those students that that really um, take those massive leaps. Those students, and and it, I suppose you know, it is those stereotypical ones, the students who uh, are very shy and and um, really really scared, a lot of fear in expressing themselves, a lot of fear in being creative, a lot of fear in in communicating. Um, and it's when you work through something like a production, and suddenly these students uh, come out on that stage on opening night. And their parents are in the audience, bawling their eyes out because they've never seen this side of their little boy or their little girl, and they just couldn't be prouder. They and they come up to me afterwards and said, "I, I could never have imagined him or her getting up there and doing that." And I'm I'm so proud. And they they they've taken massive massive um, leaps forward in their communication, their um, their confidence, and. That you know they've they've really grown as as individuals, and that I mean that's why I think any teacher does their job. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into our mansion? <laughs> my superpower. I think my superpower is is to be able to really think on my feet and to change things up. I think that my superpower is to be able to constantly and quickly tailor all of my lessons and everything I do, whether it's with a big group or one-on-one, specifically to the students that are in front of me, their needs. Uh, I think every teacher puts a lot of effort into their planning, as do I, but I think that my planning is always like a baseline. And then from there, it's, it's it's the thing that I bounce off and I quite often, in fact, more often than not, find myself heading in different directions that that really suit what my students at that given time on that given day need. And I think being able to to change things up and, and turn things around on the spot makes me uh, a really effective teacher because it is more personalized learning. It is more... Um, more creative, and I suppose you know uh, to put it as a as a Kiwiism, I go with the flow and and just uh, really think about what is the need, what is the need right now in my classroom. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? An activist. Now, this is such a loaded question because I think the word activist is one of the most loaded um, words in the English language because I think that it has so many wonderful connotations and so many awful connotations all loaded onto the same word. Um, so I like to think that I'm a, I'm a game changer. I think that uh, a big part of my job is to is to change things up and really push people um, when perhaps they have a stagnated way of thinking or feeling um, to really push them outside that comfort zone or to push them towards thinking further, thinking harder, um, thinking different perspectives. Because I really do think that if we all took the time to really consider the people around us and what they are going through on a day-to-day basis and to treat everyone with kindness that we would change the world and it would it's not it's not hard and and it comes down to that simple word kindness so if you wanted to i suppose label me as an activist i'm a kindness activist and i think that 
obviously bringing back to what we're talking about is empathy. Uh, empathy and kindness go hand in hand. They are the the closest brothers and sisters to the two words in the English language. You can't have empathy without kindness and you can't really have kindness without empathy. So I do think that this um, empathy and kindness is the most important thing that we can be pushing um, and fighting for right now. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I suppose there's there's so many challenges with moving to a new country and um, uh, really assimilating into a, into a brand new culture. Uh, in terms of challenges, uh, my personal challenges, I want to learn the Thai language um, and I want to really um, find find my place within this new environment. Um, and that takes time. And anyone that you speak to who lives as an expat in in anywhere in the world, it's it's those steps that you need to take, that those brave steps that you need to take to really push yourself into a new culture. And again, it comes back to that empathy and kindness because you will be challenged by things that you think that goes against my belief system. But that's where you push yourself into that belief system and you really unpack that and you think, well, what is what is that belief system made up of? And why is this challenging that? And But where does this come from? Maybe that's a completely different belief system that I need to, you know, kind of dive into and see what, see what it's like there. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Be kind. That's, it's the most simple thing on the planet. Uh, but time and time again, I think that this comes up as just a beautiful key to how we can change the world for the better. Um, and I think that there's a beautiful example in New Zealand in the way that our current leader leads with kindness and empathy. Um, and obviously, we've just seen a massive change in America where we could say that the the previous leader there did not lead with kindness and empathy and to see what has happened in, in that country. So I really do think that if we take more time in our daily lives and it's the simple things, you know, it's someone getting your order wrong and instead of being angry at them, you know, talk to them in a kind way. Look, you know, this 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 isn't quite right. How can we work together to make this right? Um, if if someone you know uh, is 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 rude to you, just think, wow, I'm really sad that you were having a bad day. I'm really upset for you that things aren't going right. And we've all done it. You know, someone's been really rude to us, and you turn around and you say, I'm really sorry that you're having a bad day. Um, is there anything that I can help you with? And uh, those words are so powerful. That, and you'll see their face change from whatever they were dealing to dealing with to often shock, like, oh, oh, okay. And, you know, you might just be the difference between that person going home and yelling at the kids because they've had such a bad day and then feeling guilty about that and, 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 and all those things that happen when you've had a bad day. So then taking a reflection and going, oh, well, that was really kind. And then the next person they come into contact with, of course, it's that those ripples of kindness, isn't it? So I think kindness, be kind. We don't know what everyone else is going through. And particularly at the moment, there are a lot of people who are really, really struggling. And we've just got no idea. So just be kind. Thank you for that. Moira. 
Katrina, it is um, it has been so lovely to talk to you tonight. And you know, over the years, I've I've watched you and your practice and the, the way that you do things and your teaching philosophy. And I just think you're an extraordinary person. And and I think of all those lives that you've touched and how lucky they are. Uh, and I wish we had more teachers in the world like you. Thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you so much, Moira. It's such a, an honour for you to ask me to um, be on your radio show. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we shall go out to One Night in Bangkok from Chess. <laughs> Brilliant. Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Otago's Person of the Year, Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Bangkok, Katrina Clark. We hope you enjoyed the show. Bangkok, oriental setting in the city, don't know what the city is getting. The creme de la creme of the chess world in a show with everything but Yul Brynner.
me more than would a muddy old river or reclining Buddha. Thank God I'm only watching the game, controlling it. I don't see you guys rating the kind of mate I'm contemplating. I'd let you watch, I would invite you, but the queens we use would not excite you. So you better go back to your bars, your temples, your massage parlors. One night in Bangkok, the world's your star. The bars are temples, but the pools ain't free. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.